Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, man, we're still all trying to figure out the best way to do these sorts of things. And I just want to welcome those that are watching online as well. Uh, but we're in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And with this series, we are being confronted with some really hard teachings. I would say that these teachings of Jesus are, are really countercultural. You know, they don't make sense. They aren't something that, is, uh, that, that fits with our narratives. In fact, I was thinking about this, how it just kind of exposes who we are. It exposes our values, it exposes what's going on, it exposes what we really think about something. And that made me think back to a time when I was in high school. Because when I was in high school, I was, I was really, really wrapped up in athletics, with, with baseball and basketball in particular. And I wasn't good enough to, you know, just walk on the team and start, you know, varsity as a freshman or something like that. I had to fight and scratch for playing time. And one of the ways I had to do that was I had to show up to everything. I had to show up to all of those off-season conditioning drills and sprints. Basketball in particular was, was absolutely brutal, right? There would be five days a week after school in the fall, getting ready for the basketball season. And I remember we would go out to the track, and, and there would be these series of sprints that we would have to run and, and do all of these things. And it was, it, was, it was brutal, like guys throwing up and all this stuff, and, and you had to meet certain times based on your position. And, and, and I know this may be a shock, but I'm not exactly fleet of foot, right? Like this is not something that came easy for me. In fact, the off day, the easy day was on Thursdays when all we had to do after our warm-up sprints was run four miles in a certain amount of time. Like, that was the easy day. And, and there, was kind of this, there was kind of this saying that the, that the coach had in the weight room and on the track when we were running to get ready for all this. He would always say, this is who you are. This is who you are. There was kind of this idea that you were going to be exposed for what you did or didn't do in the offseason. You're going to be exposed because there's no, there's no lying on the stopwatch. There's no lying on what you're able to lift. And I think that's what happens here with the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We get exposed. So, so before we dive into this, I want, I want to kind of give you, this is where I'm headed with this, all right? I, I have three big challenges for us, all right? The first challenge is this, that every day we have to hear the gospel, Okay, we have to hear this message that we are getting something we don't deserve, love, forgiveness, acceptance, community, purpose. We're getting these things. We don't deserve these things. We are being adopted into this family, this family that, that God is saying, you're a part of this and you haven't earned this. We've got to hear that every day. And secondly, we have to live it out, right? Not, not so that God would love us, but because if we're allowing this gospel message to truly permeate us, to truly change us, then our actions will be different, that we will be different. And then, and then the third thing is that we have to start at the gospel. And I'm going to get into a lot more of that. But before we do that, let's dive in here to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And today we get to what's, called, what's known as where you're going to store your treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it's on the screen. You can follow along. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
He goes on, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus goes into this whole thing, and I think we can understand this idea of storing up treasures for ourselves, right? I think we can understand this idea. What does it mean to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth? You know, do we have that security, that safety? Do we find that in our things or what's in our bank account or our retirement accounts? If we, if we have family close at hand, we want to work to keep them safe, right? If we're married, we don't need to worry about feeling alone. We found that, and if we're not, maybe we're looking for that and that security that it might bring or we think it will bring. If we align ourselves with the right group, the right way of thinking, the right whatever, that we will be right with them. Whether it's politics or a pundit or an opinion, if we're in the right church, we'll never have to be worried about being wrong. Because ultimately, we look for security in things that cannot give us security. Maybe you find security or assurance in your output, right? Like, I had a really productive day. I got everything done on my list. I got promoted. I'm in this spot. I finished a project. And there's, there's something good, and I think there's something right about that idea. When you finish something, you kind of step back and look at it. You kind of appreciate it, right? You paint a wall, and you paint a wall in your house. The first thing you do is you step back when you're done, and you just kind of take it all in, right? I, I, have, this, I have this rather inefficient, archaic habit, this, this thing that occupies a lot of my time. I, I split firewood, and I'll burn it in the winter to keep us warm. Now, this is an incredibly inefficient way to heat my house, right? Like, it's incredibly inefficient. Like, the work I put into it, I'm not getting all of that out. But I, I tell myself that, right? You know, I, I tell myself that this is, this is kind of using a renewable resource in a, in a way that's, you know, more sustainable because these trees were often dead. This is a way for me to, to continue to provide for my family, to not pay a, a, an energy bill as much as, as maybe my neighbors might. All of those things, right? And I love to just stare out at my wood pile, right? Like, like look, at, look at all that. I'm so prepared for the winter. And usually in February, every year, and I've done this for years, I'm shocked at just how much wood we've gone through. And, I, and, and you know, in August, I feel like, hey, I got all this security built up. And then you see, man, no, I don't, right in the middle of February. I, I think we do that with, with all sorts of things, right? Our accomplishments, our family, our 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 finances, you know, you know we, we find ourselves in this spot where we realize we're not as secure as maybe we thought. Maybe you've done that in the last five months, right? You know, you know maybe for you, the jokes aside, you couldn't find toilet paper, which is a bit of a crisis, right? Or maybe for you, you weren't able to, to go out and see friends, and you realize that you got a lot of security from your community. Or maybe for you, it's, it's legitimate, it's real, because you were laid off, you were furloughed, your hours were reduced, and all of a sudden, you realize you couldn't provide like you thought you could. Because when we lose something, when we are exposed, when that pressure really builds on us, I think we really find out what's going on inside our hearts. I think in the last five months, COVID and everything else from racial injustice to protest to, guys, it's 100 days from the next election. I don't think it's going to get calmer out there, right? All of that 
this pressure, this adversity, these challenges, these big questions, I think is exposing us. In the Old Testament, there's this book called the Proverbs. And I joke that it's like these, like these tweets, but actually wise and useful and not banal and cliche. But in these Proverbs, we have all this language about how what's going on on the inside comes out. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the writer says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, when I was a youth pastor and I worked with teenagers, I would tell that particularly to our young women to say, hey, don't fall for the idiot jock guy and think you're in love with him. Guard your heart, right? But I think as an adult, I would say this, that we have to be aware that what goes in is going to come out, that what we're formed on the inside truly, truly matters. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, a person who may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. We've all seen this play out, right? We judge ourselves based on our intentions, and we judge others based on their actions, right? We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We think we are always in the right. We never or rarely tell a story that gives an honest, a fully, brutally honest assessment of ourselves. But the Lord weighs the heart. Jesus takes this theme in in Luke chapter 6. Luke records it as such. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So you can't hide what is on the inside. Uh, we, we were looking at this Sermon on the Mount, and, and we've just, in the past few weeks, we've talked about how Jesus teaches that anger is the same as murder. The anger and hatred that will eventually lead to that, at the root, it's just as bad. Or that lust is the same as adultery, or that, or that greed is the same as taking advantage of others. And all these other examples where what was going on, on the inside isn't really what matters, because you can't hide what is on the inside. Last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer by praying that God lead us not into temptation. I don't think that God tempts us in the way that we would conceive of that. But I think what happens there, what's going on there, is this a, is this a prayer that reflects our condition. Because I know, left to my own devices, I'm ending up in the ditch every time. I know, left to my own devices, over a long enough time, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to make mistakes. I might have bright spots. I might have good things, whether it's with my kids, right? Like in the morning, we wake up. We're going to have a great morning together. We got the coffee. The kids are playing. We got cereal. And then all of a sudden, someone spills the milk. All of a sudden, the brother and sister are fighting. All of a sudden, they're bored, right? All of a sudden, and then also, I'm getting raised. I'm getting elevated. I'm getting elevated, and I get really, really upset. Or maybe at work, you, you show up on Monday and you say, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in the politics of this, I'm not going to get in the pettiness and the gossip of this, and Monday you're good, but then Tuesday there's that afternoon meeting and you're tired and someone says something absolutely asinine and you can't help yourself from judging them, right? Or someone doesn't show up for a shift and you've got to pick it up. Or someone cuts you off in traffic. Left to my own devices, those little things are going to build and build and build. I need God to lead me not in temptation because left alone, I'm in trouble. Because our heart eventually betrays us. Our heart eventually comes out. We can't hide what's on the inside. And the Sermon on the Mount is this gospel confrontation. 
right? We, we don't like confrontation. We don't like these moments when, when we have to deal with conflict. When the first church I was at, I was a youth pastor, and it was a church that had a lot of conflict in their history. And we went to this seminar, and they had all the staff and all the elders and a few of the other leaders, they were standing in a big open room. It was like a, like a multi-purpose room at this church. And, and, and the guy said, okay, I want to imagine that there's a line down the middle of this room. And this line is going to represent the spectrum of how comfortable you are with confrontation, right? And on this end, it's people that just avoid conflict at all costs. And at this point, it's people who go looking, who relish, who enjoy the conflict. So what happens? A bunch of guys, because they were all men at the time, they, they all had conflict with one another. And they all kind of huddled, huddled there in the middle. Except for that one weirdo, right, who was causing a lot of the problems. He was down on that end. He was like, I relish the conflict. I relish this. And nobody really liked that guy. Because we avoid conflict. But I think the Sermon on the Mount is a gospel confrontation. You know, Jesus is telling us is that what happens on the inside is just as important as our actions. He says that we are to be salt and light. That's a preservative salt that we're supposed to defend and we're supposed to bring light into the darkness. He says that we're essentially supposed to outserve one another, that we let our love, our sacrifice, our generosity compel people to change. You don't play their games. They strike you on the cheek. You don't slap back. You get creative in your resistance, not to play into their uh, uh, rules and their game of just violence for violence sake or, or tit for tat, but to come back and say, I'm going to change the rules and I'm going to compel you. I'm almost going to shame you into changing your behavior, not just trying to win an argument. See, we can't just stop a negative behavior. It has to be replaced, right? So how do we stop storing up treasures for ourselves in the here and now? Or maybe even a better question yet, is it better? Is it better for us not to put security in the here and now? Because you might agree with me. You would say, yeah, I have security from my bank account, but I realize that could be gone in an instance. I realize that that calamity could strike. I could lose my job, health, whatever. But at least it's something I can touch, I can see, I can feel. So how do we even go about this? How do we understand that the treasures here on earth aren't where we need to put our security? And then how do we say, if we say yes to that, how do we begin to build up treasures in heaven? Now, despite the far side cartoons and, and the other, you know, popular culture imitations or, or uh, you know, pictures of heaven, I don't think it's like we're all floating on clouds, like essentially wearing a toga, right? I don't think that's what it is. I really hope not. And, and what I don't think is happening is that there's like this bank, this bank up in heaven uh, that, that you, you have to get into, you store up your treasures. I don't know, what, what's the bank called in Harry Potter or whatever that bank is, right? Half of you or some of you know what I'm talking about. But, the, but you try to break into it. You can't break into there, right? But you, if you have the right key, if you stored up the right treasure, you can get there and you can have access to that. I don't think that's how it works. Because remember in the Lord's Prayer, heaven comes down. Jesus announces over and over and over again that he is here to bring about the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is near. So I read this as saying is that heaven is when everything is made new, made right, when all the tears are wiped away, where there's no more pain, no more loss, no more grief, that when God gets what God wants. So our posture, uh, as we follow Jesus, we allow God's spirit, God's presence to work in our lives, to transform and change us, 
our whole posture, our whole plan, our whole way of going about it is that we need to see heaven come to realization in our world and in our lives. We need to find and fight for these glimpses of heaven when things are being made right because that is the direction Jesus is moving. That is where history is going. So I think what Jesus is saying here isn't that we just have to deny ourselves and now and we'll be rewarded later. It's not that we have to all take a, a vow of poverty, but what he's saying is that we need to see things differently. Because look what he has to say about the eyes and light. This rather odd statement sandwiched in between here in this teaching about storing up treasures in heaven and you can't serve two masters. We'll put it back up on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body is a weird statement. I think, I think I, I'm not a scientist, but I think that's wrong, right? I think it's an incorrect scientific physiological statement. I assume, I'm going to work under the assumption that Jesus understands physiology perfectly and anatomy perfectly, so I don't think he's making a mistake here. I think what he's doing is using some common cultural standings of the day to make a point. See, in that understanding, in that time and place, the heart was the center of everything. That's the center of logic, a, a, a rationale. That's a, a person who would talk about knowing something deep in their heart, their innermost self. So Jesus is once again talking about the heart, what we truly think, what we truly believe, how we truly view the world. This is where it all starts. This is that spring that brings about action. And so if our hearts are full of darkness, then it will be exposed in how we live, what we do, and how we see the world. Now, the most obvious ways we can understand that is how we spend our money, right? You know, if you've ever done a budget or you looked at, looked at your bank account, there's, there's usually kind of a shocking moment, right? I spend that much on food or clothing or video games or going out or whatever. Like, like that much of my budget goes towards that? This is kind of this shocking moment. So Jesus, I think, talks about our finances. And of course, Jesus points out that we, both, we can't serve both God and money. Now, money is the easy answer, right? It's the easy way to see this play out. But I think it's been pretty easy to see this play out in the last five months or so. If I'm honest, it's been incredibly frustrating it's been incredibly frustrating to see just how little I am following Jesus. It's been frustrating to see just how little people that I love and respect are following Jesus. To see the way that I get so riled up, I get so frustrated. And I realize that I am allowing something other than Jesus, other than the gospel, to transform my lives. That, that I, I'm confronted by maybe, not maybe anymore, this realization that we as a church, me as a pastor, we haven't discipled you guys. We haven't discipled ourselves as much as I thought we had. And it's a moment where it's really frustrating and I see it in person conversations, I see it in my own head, I see it on things on social media, things said, things done. And I see how we have stored up, we've stored up things for here and now. We've allowed things, politics, talking heads, our opinions, 
to transform and change everything about us. And so Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven and living out that heavenly life now. And following Jesus, allowing the Spirit to do his work. Being transformed and changed along the way and bringing others to this by these salt and light actions. And of course we look ahead and it's not going to get easier. But Jesus teaches us to go the extra mile. He teaches us that we should go above and beyond to serve others. He teaches us that we should go above and beyond to wake people up to the reality that their life is being invested, is being involved in things that are not of God. He uses the example of the Roman soldiers who are oppressing, who are taking advantage, who are exploiting the Jewish people. But this, is, I think, is a universal truth that in all things, we need to recognize that those forces, those things out there that are oppressing on us, those things within us that are leading us astray, because if we are left alone, we're going to end up in the ditch, right? He's he's saying that in all of these things, we have to go the extra mile. So right now, there's a lot of things that are really frustrating, really limiting, really hard. There's things that you and I don't agree with. But I still see it as a challenge to go the extra mile, to give extra grace. To give extra love, extra forgiveness, extra patience, extra service. So the question that we need to ask is, what are those inconvenient things that make life easier for other people? What are the hard things that communicate value to another person? Because going the extra mile isn't a snarky comment in person or online. It isn't attacking someone because they disagree with you. It isn't judging someone because they're staying home or because they're going out. It isn't judging someone for wearing a mask or not. It's not for sending, you don't don't go the extra mile by judging whether or not people send their kids to traditional school this fall or they keep them at home and do some sort of homeschooling. Going the extra mile isn't allowing your political party or the pundit who, who you prefer to inform you and how you view the world. It isn't drawing lines and say, these people on this sideline are my team and the rest of you literally go to hell. It's a, it isn't allowing frustration to turn to anger and turn to hatred. Because I don't know about you, but I'll be scrolling through my phone on some social media site. And I'll read something somebody posts, whether I know them or not. And I feel myself getting angry. And that is not gospel, holy, righteous anger. That is selfish, personal, inconvenience anger. So Jesus tells us to go the extra mile. He tells us to store up treasures in heaven. He tells us to serve God, not stuff or your tribe or your group. He tells us that we must allow the gospel to be our starting and to be our ending point. Because every day we've got to hear the gospel. We have to be reminded of just how much we need this. The gospel isn't some moral list. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Bible. The gospel is this message that Jesus comes to us, lives a perfect life, is punished unjustly, dies tragically, and rises again. The gospel is all of that, and then this message that we are somehow cosmically adopted into a family 
where we are on equal plane with Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. Does that make sense? No. Is it logical? Absolutely not. Is it easy for me to conceptualize? No. We have to hear that. We have to hear that we're all starting at this same place, right? We have to hear that everything good has not been something we have deserved. Everything good has been God working through us for his purposes. We have to live out the gospel because it's not just good enough to have it in our thoughts. If we are not living it out, we are not experiencing it. If we are just the, the armchair jockey, if we're just saying those people should do this and not living it out, then we are missing out. I think so often people like me have said things and, and maybe just been misheard or misinterpreted. But hear this, we don't live out the gospel to get God to love us more. God's love is constant, is absolute. You can't do anything to get him to love you more. You can't get anything to get him to love you less. But when we live out the gospel, we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven because we experience heaven in the here and now. And we have to see things through the gospel. We have to understand that our opinions, our, 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 our leanings, our understanding of the world, our worldview, all that stuff has to be gospel-centered. It has to begin there. It must inform everything. We need to hear the gospel. We need to live the gospel. And we must allow the gospel to inform all that we do. Because in all of this, we need to embrace a new equation. We need to embrace faithfulness over feelings. We need to embrace faithfulness over feelings. God's faithfulness over our feelings. So whatever you're going through, broken relationships, addiction, loss of job, economic insecurity, tragedy, loss of life, wanting something good but it not coming, frustration with work, pain and anguish, whatever it is, we have to understand that our feelings matter, they're real, they are there, but we have to see God's faithfulness over all that, and I recognize just how difficult that is. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter how I feel, God is still faithful. It doesn't matter that I get frustrated with government orders. It doesn't matter that I get frustrated with how some parts of society act. It doesn't matter if I see another pastor make what I consider an unhelpful comment online. It doesn't matter because God is still faithful. It doesn't matter your situation, not because God doesn't care about your situation. It doesn't matter about your situation because God is still love regardless of your situation. It doesn't matter if you've experienced loss or pain or disillusionment or frustration or apathy or whatever. God is still love. It doesn't matter what's on the news because regardless of what's on the news, God still provides it doesn't matter what you feel guilty over, the shame that you might have over something in your past or something that's going on now. It doesn't matter in God's eyes because God still and always will forgive. It doesn't matter how wrong they are. And boy, does it feel good to point that out. It doesn't matter how wrong they are because regardless of what they are doing or what you are doing, God is still right. It doesn't matter how much you want to get even doesn't matter how much you want to get even because that that vengeance is god see i think crisis makes us take a very honest assessment of things and i think today 
what I'm trying to do is be really honest about my, my life, my feelings, and how I'm following Jesus. And as I get more and more honest about it, I realize some disturbing things. I realize that in part, or maybe even in whole, I don't really believe this. Because if I did, I would behave differently. When I'm really, really honest, I would say, man, if, 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 if I was really, God was really using me to lead a church, to help people find and follow Jesus, that we would see more transformation in my life and in yours and in ours. So honestly, I must say, well, God is still faithful, so I must have screwed something up here. And before I let that just overpower me, I come back to, well, God still loves me because it's God's faithfulness over my feelings. And crisis has a way of exposing things, right? Crisis has a way, tragedy has a way of exposing things. And I think what's exposed in my life are the areas where I've come up short. As a husband, as a man, as a dad, as a father, you know, all that, as, as a pastor. So I could sit in that. You could sit in that. Or we could say, well, God is still faithful. God still loves, God still forgives. And if God is faithful... If God is faithful, if God is not going to give up on us, which is what I believe and what I have seen, if I believe that, if God is faithful, then no matter where I'm at in that honest assessment, no matter what the conclusions, God is still available. God is still there. And I think when I get in God's presence, God gets, he gets in my presence. He gets in my life. And right now, I think I need God's presence. And you need God's presence. I think that we need these things. I think we need to be transformed. And I think the best thing we can do right now is be brutally honest about where we are. Be brutally honest about where we are and go from there knowing, believing, hoping this to be true, that God is still faithful. We have to find ways to let God in because I've seen it in my life in the last five, six months that I haven't let him in nearly as much as I thought and I don't think I'm alone in that so every day I want to hear the gospel I want to be reminded of this truth that Jesus loved me before he knew me that Jesus sought me out knowing full well what I am that Jesus died on a cross and rose from a grave, knowing that I, at times, would deny that, would avoid that, would push that away. I want to hear that every day. Every day I want to live it out. Not necessarily in big ways, but I want to live a life of service. I want to live a life of gospel action. And I want all of my opinions, all of my beliefs, to start at the gospel. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't start there, it's not a right or wrong issue. It's a true issue. And I want my life to be true. And I want to be a part of a church that's true. I want to be a part of a church 
that is gospel-focused, that is gospel-centered, and is gospel-informed. And we can only do that. We can only do that if we store up treasures in heaven, if we get in God's presence, allowing God to get in ours. That's the hard work, but that's the true work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your forgiveness.